This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. I've spoken a lot recently about the dangerous threat posed by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as he seeks the Democratic nomination for the presidency. He is a wolf in Kennedy clothing, an individual who is able to hide his madness in plain sight, aided and abetted by an entire infrastructure of conspiracy-minded wackadoos and Hollywood imbeciles who believe that immunizations are poison, that 5G cell towers cause cancer, and a host of other bullshit that I don't even want to give the light of day. If he were any other person, we'd laugh him right out of the room. But he's a Kennedy. And for many, that name and the myth embodied by his slain father and uncle gives him the benefit of the doubt. In recent years, Kennedy has become a full-blown conspiracy theorist. Sirhan Sirhan didn't really kill his father. 5G is harvesting human data. And even before COVID, Kennedy's own family denounced his views on vaccination. In 2019, Joseph P. Kennedy Jr., Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, and Townsend's daughter, Maeve Kennedy McKean, were concerned that Bobby's opposition to measles vaccination was costing lives. He has helped to spread dangerous misinformation over social media and is complicit in sowing distrust of the science behind vaccines, they wrote in a Politico op-ed. After COVID, like many, the conspiracies turned extreme. This is a man who released a video depicting Anthony Fauci in a fucking Hitler mustache. I mean, he got in trouble last year comparing COVID restrictions to Nazi propaganda. And I quote, Even in Hitler's Germany, you could cross the Alps to Switzerland. You could hide in an attic like Anne Frank did, he said. As a child of Holocaust survivors, my fucking jaw hit the floor when I heard that and whatever reservoir goodwill I had for the man, thanks to his tireless environmental work with the river keepers, has completely evaporated. The man is now just a menace. An entitled narcissistic rich boy playing at being president. Now, let me be clear, he has no fucking chance of winning. But he could be a spoiler as he attempts to wound President Biden. It's no accident that he is a Fox News darling and a favorite of Steve Bannon. Unfortunately, like many, many before him, he has no fucking idea that he is just another in a long line of useful idiots. Only this one has a lot of blood on his hands. In 2021, he wrote a book entitled The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health that decried 2020's historic coup d'etat against Western democracy. I mean, this book debuted at number two on the Amazon bestseller list and has garnered an astonishing 23,000 mostly positive comments on the site. NewsGuard exposed many of the book's ludicrous claims, but few critics have bothered to take Kennedy on directly. Instead, he is simply dismissed as a conspiracy monger. Now it's no wonder that Tucker Carlson has become a Kennedy cheerleader. I mean, the man is a complete and total menace. Many mainstream media outlets have avoided giving Kennedy a platform as they view his anti-vaxxer claims as both unscientific and dangerous. 
But the New Yorker's David Remnick interviewed him for an article that was published in Q&A form on July 7th. And in it, Remick wrote that if there is a madness, slight or otherwise, in Kennedy's bid, it is not confirmed to his hubris. He is rolling with conspiracy theories. SSRIs like Prozac might be the reason for school shootings. Vaccines cause autism. I mean, there are many. Take what you want from this interview, but it's a fascinating peek into a troubled soul. I mean, who knows how he got the way he did, but one thing is for sure, the man should not come within 50 miles of the White House. Now, I had the opportunity to have Bobby on mea culpa a little over a year ago. He was, as predicted, a bully, a shouter, a dissembler, and a liar. So sound like anyone you know? Anyway, here is an encore presentation of that interview, presented uninterrupted and unedited. It's just RFK Jr. and I going mano y mano. Now it got loud and I worried that he was going to punch his computer and then just simply walk away. But he didn't, and here's the result. So let's go now to my conversation with presidential candidate and conspiracy theorist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So Robert, in your new book, The Real Anthony Fauci, Bill Gates, Big Pharma, and the Global War on Democracy and Public Health, you paint Anthony Fauci as an almost super villainous character with outsized power, saying that Dr. Fauci's COVID policies also spawned new insidious authoritarianism and propelled America down a slippery slope toward a grim future as a dark totalitarian security and surveillance state. If you would do me the favor, unpack this for my listeners um, and for me, if you could, because I was a little bit confused in terms of what this was really saying. Well, what I do is I, I trace Anthony Fauci's 50 years as the top banjerum of public health in our country. Um, and, the, uh, and I show how he, he has metamorphosized not just NIH, but all of HHS, so that it has deprioritized public health. I would say that particularly in his agency, NIAID, no longer does anything to do with public health. It's really all about pharmaceutical product development. He's become uh, the leading incubator for the pharmaceutical industry for new pharmaceutical products. His money was intended initially, he gets $7.7 billion in federal money. Um, 6.1 billion of that annually comes from the taxpayers and then about 1.6 comes from the military to do weapons research, bioweapons research. And uh, which is why he was doing those gain of function studies in Wuhan. But instead of spending that money researching, um, you know, why American health is discussed, declining so precipitously, he uses that money to develop new drugs. So between 20, 2009 and 2016, there was about 240 new drugs that were approved by FDA. And all of those came through Tony Fauci's shop. And he his agency gets to keep patents on those. For example, the Moderna vaccine, um, which has received billions in federal dollars. His agency owns half the patent and stands to make 
tens of billions of dollars in royalties. Not only that, but individuals who he selects, his loyal deputies, who worked on that vaccine, on the approvals and development of that vaccine, um, get to keep, if he if he agrees and he has four of his deputies will get a march in rights for the patent. So they will get $150,000 a year in royalties from the Moderna vaccine on top of their federal government salaries. And, um, and we've seen, you know, our nation really transformed largely because of policies that he set in motion so that America, that when I was a boy, when he came to power in the, uh, the mid 70s, America was the healthiest nation in the world. Today, we are 79th in terms of, you know, by, by all the indicia of public health, infant mortality and longevity and uh, medical costs. We use more medical products, more pharmaceutical products than any other nation in the world. We use three times the average in the other Western nations. We pay the highest prices for pharmaceutical products and we have by far the worst health outcomes anywhere in the developed world. So, and, and as I show in the book, those metrics are largely the result of policies that he directly supervised or orchestrated or put in motion. You can't blame Tony Fauci completely for this terrible decline in American health, but he he could have prevented it um, himself, one, one person, if he had done his job. What he does, he, his, his agency was supposed to do scientific research. So we've seen, I'll, I'll give you an example. We, when he came into office, the chronic disease rate among Americans was 6%. 6% of Americans had chronic disease. Today, 54% of Americans have chronic disease. And by chronic disease, I mean basically three categories. Well, there's obesity, and then there's three additional categories, which are neurodevelopmental diseases. These would include ADD, ADHD, speech delay, language delay, tics, Tourette syndrome, narcolepsy, um, ASD, autism. The allergic diseases, which suddenly appeared in 1989, peanut allergies, food allergies, celiac disease, uh, asthma, anaphylaxis, eczema, which, you know, none of these diseases, I knew nobody who had these diseases as a kid. In 1989, suddenly you had this pandemic or epidemic of chronic disease. And then finally, the autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile diabetes, lupus, Crohn's disease, Graves' disease, all of these appeared around 1989. We know that, there, that they, the cause is or causes are environmental toxins because genes don't cause epidemics. And it's Tony Fauci's job to identify the cause of these diseases and then to develop strategies for eliminating those exposures. And it's a pretty easy job to do because there's only there's a limited number of toxic exposures that began in 1989 and affected every demographic. So you can easily divide, you can easily figure this out. 
what he does, he and his colleagues, Bill Gates and Jeremy Farrar from the Wellcome Trust, which is the UK version of the Gates Foundation, together those three men control 61% of biomedical research in the world they fund, but they control about 99% because they can not only decide which studies get funded, but they can ruin people and destroy institutions that do science that they don't want. So that most of the, all of the medical schools in America are, are dependent on funding from Tony Fauci. He gives hundreds of millions of dollars a year to Harvard, to Baylor, to Stanford, to Berkeley, et cetera. And if, they, if there's a young professor, associate professor at one of those university medical schools, that says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to get a hold of the Kaiser Permanente HMO database. And I'm going to look, I'm going to look at all of the vaccine records for those patients. And then I'm going to look at the medical claims. And I'm going to do a cluster analysis and see which of these chronic diseases is associated with which vaccine. If a young professor said, I'm going to do that study, which nobody's ever done before, and it is an obvious study to do, his dean will get a call as soon as it's known what he's up to from Cliff Lane or from one of, you know, uh, Fauci's hitmen who will tell the dean of that medical school, if you allow this joker to proceed with that kind of um, study that kind of research, we are going to bankrupt your university. Oh, that's why we are in the midst of this health crisis in our country, this chronic disease health crisis, which dwarfs the cost of COVID. And, you know, we've gone from autism rates in my generation, I'm 67. In my generation of 67 year old men, the autism rate is about one in in 5,000 to one in 10,000. In my children's generation, it's one in every 34 children, one in every 22 boys. How come we don't have a clear answer of what's causing that? That is a much bigger crisis than COVID because COVID you know, kills older people at the age they would normally die. This is destroying young people at birth who have 70 or 80 years in front of them and destroying their productivity, not only them, but their whole families. And it's one in every 22 boys in our country. It affects our national security, our productivity, our tax base, um, the allocation of vital resources, our GDP, our GNP, everything. And it is permanent. So why don't we know the answer to that question? The answer to that is Tony Fauci. Uh, look, you blame a lot on Tony Fauci, on Bill Gates and Big Pharma and so on. I'm not so sure that it's Dr. Fauci who approves the drugs. I don't believe that it's him individually. I think that there are panels. Um, I don't let believe. Me, let me tell you. I don't, I don't, me, I don't, be, I don't Michael, believe that. Michael, let me tell you about the panels. So... If you look at the people who served it, and this is what Tony Fauci says, he says, uh, you know, the drug approvals are given by these panels, by the drug monitoring boards, and by the two panels at FDA and CDC. Those panels are called VERPAC, the FDA panel, which approves new drugs and licenses them. At CDC, it's called ASAP, the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices. And but if you look at the member, the people who sit on those panels are not 
FDA or CDC employees largely. They're independent researchers who have an expertise in the area of the drug that they're approving. So let's say vaccines, and they'll have vaccine read. 22 people or eight people on those panels. If you look at the conflicts of interest statements by those panelists, virtually all of them are actually Tony Fauci's grantees. Oh, he controls those panels. He controls the people who get on those panels. He rewards the people who sit on those panels. He and the pharmaceutical companies, because they're working for pharma too, reward the ones they vote correctly. And that's why virtually all of their decisions are unanimous and they never say no to a drug. It's, and the, the, the idea, the argument that these are independent panels that are separate from Tony Fauci is a charade. If you actually well, let me let I me say this. Well, this let, let, but Robert, let, Robert, let me I go Robert, through let this me stop you for one detail second. in my book, and I show each one of those panels who the people are and how many millions of dollars that they have taken from Tony Fauci. Well, let me, let me stop you for just one second here, because you also made mention that, you know, um, being 65, I'm 55. Uh, when I was in summer camp, for example, in 19, I think it was like 75, 76, we had kids there who had lupus. I, I remember there was a kid who lived in my bunk who had eczema, but really significant, um, you know, eczema, where he was on some experimental medication. Now I suspect that he would be on something else. But I do want to just move on for a second. In relationship... These diseases did not exist. When I was a kid, Michael, I had three vaccines. My children got 72 doses of 16 vaccines. And they ramped up in the 70s and the late 60s and early 70s. But really, most of the vaccines were added to the schedule in 1989. Because in 1986, the law was changed to, uh, to give and immunity from liability to vaccine companies. So now, no matter how negligent they are, no matter how reckless their behavior, no matter how grievous your injury, no matter how toxic the, the ingredients, you cannot sue them. And that all of a sudden made vaccines immensely popular, uh, uh, profitable. And there was a gold rush add new vaccine to the schedule and they end up adding all these vaccines that nobody needs that do no good that clearly well, look, look 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 robert i got to stop you on that one i'm not so sure that you and i are going to agree on whether or not the vaccines are good or not and i well, know well, that you don't like i don't like i know that no, you don't Michael, like let's when, talk about uh, robert let me, let me finish robert let me let, let me just finish this. All right. Let me finish this thought. I know that you don't want people to think of you as an anti-vaxxer. Um, and that's absolutely okay. And I know that you have, you know, your, um, your, your company, your children's health defense and so on. But I do want to just ask you this in relationship to the coronavirus, because you've been quoted as saying, we have to love our freedom more than we fear a germ referring to the coronavirus, even this even if this was the deadly disease that they say it is, there's worse things than death. Now, I'm curious, as a guy who blew a series of pulmonary embolus and sat for about a week in the ICU, not sure if I was going to make it or not, what in your mind is worse than death? Uh, the loss of all of our constitutional rights, uh, much worse than death. And, that, and luckily, luckily, Michael, it was a group of people in 1776 in this country 
who also agreed with me on that and considered and put their livelihoods, put their careers, put their property and put their lives on the line to give us the Bill of Rights, which in one year, virtually all of the Bill of Rights have been taken away from us, beginning with freedom of speech, with jury trials, with freedom of assembly, with due process, with property rights. They closed a million businesses with no just compensation, no due process. They abolished jury trials for vaccine companies. Uh, They've abolished freedom of speech. Well, one day I'm going to hope you're going to introduce me. Robert, one day- worse than death. Robert, one day I hope you'll introduce me to somebody who's going to argue First Amendment constitutional rights that died. Uh, but in that time, I want to discuss I, your book I don't know for a what second. You just said. I don't know what you just said. <laughs> well, what, what you're saying is I'm saying that there's nothing in life that's worse than death. And you're talking about property rights and you're talking about First Amendment rights. There are no First Amendment rights for people who are dead. Um, but I do want to go ahead and just ask you something about your book, because in your book and in numerous interviews, You claim that the vaccine is being used to survey, track, or trace the U.S. population. I found this to be extraordinary, by the way. Moreover, you were barred from Instagram over a post that linked Bill Gates to the injection of microchips into individuals with a quote that read, and this is your quote, the digitalized economy, we get rid of cash and coins, we give you a chip, We put all your money in your chip. If you refuse a vaccine, we turn off the chip and you starve. Let's start with the wilder of the accusations here. Where's the proof, scientific proof, that Bill Gates is injecting Americans with microchips? And furthermore, what's what's really his incentive for doing so? I never said that. I don't believe, Michael, I don't believe he is. I don't know where you're getting this stuff. You certainly haven't read my book because my book doesn't say anything like that. My book has 2,200 footnotes. Every statement in it is sourced and cited to a public database or a peer-reviewed publication. I don't see, and I never said anything like what you just attributed to me. Those are the kind of things that pharmaceutical propaganda says that I said, but they're not quoting me. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that. I never I never said that anybody was injecting us with that the vaccine, the COVID vaccines contain chips that are tracking and tracing us, which you just accused me of. You should read. Well, the uh, look, story. you should look, read. Let me, my let me say this. Let, Robert, let me say this as somebody you invite me on your show, as oh. you said you would. Okay, so let me, Robert, let me just say this as somebody, as somebody, Robert, as somebody who has been um, attacked by misinformation, disinformation, if that's not what you said, it's my, it's my mistake. It was in my investigation, my review on, you know, um, various different articles and so on. If in fact that that's accurate, I take it back. Unlike the press that refuses to acknowledge, I never went to Prague. I never met with Compromats. I was never involved in most of the things. Uh, actually, I was never involved in any of the items that are discussed in the Steele dossier. I take it back. I apologize. It's my mistake, uh, and I'm glad that we're both on the same on the same page because I found it to be, in all fairness, I I thought it was batshit crazy to be honest with you. Microchips inside of a vaccine in order to shut off our money and so on. I didn't even. I was anxious to hear, you know, the response that, you know, that you had to it. But I'm happy to hear that you don't agree with that either. So let me just then move on and hope that I get right the next the, the next topic here. Uh, by the way, what? Michael, 
the, the quote that you read from me is a conflated quote. I've been a critic of digitalized currency. I, I know that, you know, that Gates has been promoted, promoting digitalized currency, and now we're seeing it, I said, from the beginning of the pandemic. This is going to be one of the objectives is to digitalize the currency because it's a mechanism for control. It's like the vaccine passport is a mechanism for control. And if you can digitalize currency and get rid of paper money, you can do those things. You can punish people who are non-compliant. You can go into their payroll. You you can now, I mean, we now there's now programmable money. So that, for example, if you live in New York City, um, or let's say you live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and you don't take your vaccine, you could, if we when we have digitalized currency and passbooks. Your capacity to spend money when you leave your town can be shut off. Your capacity to spend money at anything other than, for example, food stores can be cut off. We, you know, the, the capacity for program, programmable money is there, and it is part of the plan with, for the digitalized passport. I just came back from Europe. And they're doing vaccine passports there now. Why would you want a vaccine passport for a vaccine that does not prevent transmission? Nobody believes it can prevent transmission or prevent the spread of the virus. So why are we having it? Well, it's informative that the vaccine passports are not being issued by the health agencies. They're being issued by the finance ministries. And clearly, they're going to be linked to people's digitalized currencies and bank accounts, and it is a mechanism for control. But I never said that the COVID vaccines had chips in them that were going to track and trace people. So the quote that you read from me, half of it is accurate, but together it's utterly inaccurate. And it does seem that chip crazy if somebody said that about the current vaccines. Yeah, actually, I apologize. The article came out of Forbes, and it was not from the book, but rather from your Instagram account. Uh, and you're right. Uh, it, it specifically states there uh, from a photo that you posted of Bill Gates with uh, the words, the digitalized economy. We get rid of cash and coins. We give you a chip. We put all your money in your chip. If you refuse a vaccine, we turn off the chip and you starve. That was that the Instagram mean, quote. never said the chips were injected. Bill Gates has been very, very open that he's developing those chips. He's patented them. Microsoft has the patent for that chip. This is I cited all of it. He has three different companies that are making those chips. And what he says, you know, to his credit, because it's important to understand his point of view, what he would say today is those chips, those subdermal chips, which will be injected to people, not with a vaccine, but they're injectables subdermal chips that you will then carry for life. It's important, he says, to have those chips, and this is why he says he is developing them, so that people in the developing world will be able to carry their medical records on their persons, so that if you're a refugee or if you're a child and you don't know what vaccines you got, you'll be able to carry that chip. It will have your medical records. It will have your financial records. You'll be able to scan the person's skin and figure out whether you had a polio vaccine two years ago or not and figure out what vaccines to give them. So it's not... You know, this is what this is what Bill Gates says. And what I've said is 
that is a dangerous concept. You know, it may have a very, very benevolent explanation for it. Once you start telling people that it's permissible to carry chips in their body that have all of their records on them that are scannable, it's pretty easy for anybody who cares about civil liberties to understand that that system not only can be misused, but it definitely will be misused. Yeah, um, understood. Me, I just waited for the FBI to come and take my cell phones and my computers to have all my information. But I, I hear you. And, you know, as part of this Forbes article, and it doesn't state that this came from you, but it does turn around and say also uploaded with the photo were separate videos of Bill Gates speaking about making vaccinations a high priority with other clips that reference identity control that appear to link uh, a coronavirus vaccine with controlling or tracking people with microchips. That's why I just figured the only with the vaccine that somewhere, obviously it has to be injected into you. I mean, certainly no one's going to go under the knife and have a microchip put into their head. But I just want to move on for a second because I want to get, Robert, I want to get your- Listen, Michael, he has patented, and Microsoft has separately patented, injectable chips. You don't go under surgery. They're injected with a hypodermic needle. And that's what they do. And that's what he says they do. Like This is, you know, if you look at, I know I published that on my Instagram, which was you know, then removed. So you can't go and look that up. But I simultaneously publish everything that I publish on Instagram. I simultaneously publish on the Defender with all the citations in it embedded. Oh, anybody, and, and by the way, Instagram was not able to point to a single erroneous, actually erroneous statement that I've ever made or ever posted. And Instagram had to deny me the right of appeal. They gave that right to when they, when they um, evicted President Trump. They gave him the right to appeal. They would not give me that right because they knew that I would win because I never posted one item that was erroneous. Everything I posted was cited and sourced. Well, then I'm going to ask you this. What's your response then to critics who charge that you're spreading vast amounts of misinformation about the COVID-19 virus, that you're a part of this entire disinformation dozen with folks like Joseph Mercola, for whom you wrote a forward to his book, and that what you're doing is actually dangerous. Well, what I do is tell the truth. And, you know, if you're telling me that the public can't handle the truth, and I would say you don't believe in democracy. You know, if you want to manipulate the public by telling them things that aren't true or by stopping them from um, getting access to facts, and I would say you are a guy who, you know, doesn't like democracy because democracy is based upon the idea that a free flow of information will allow the best ideas to triumph in the marketplace of ideas and that they can then be used to craft policies that are, uh, the, you know, the, the best policies for our country. And I don't know how you run a democracy if you think we should hide facts from the public. I I don't know who's in charge of that. Well, I I, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Mark Zuckerberg to be able to tell what you can or Adam Schiff to tell what you can hear, what facts you're allowed to hear and have access to or not. There's something really like an undemocratic and very sinister about that. We should be telling people the truth. 
Well, I'm not questioning what you're saying about telling the truth or democracy requires rights of free speech and so on. The point that I was trying to make is that the there are critics out there of you who claim that you're spreading not just vast sure. amounts hey, of Michael. misinformation. Hey, and what I'm going to ask sure, you is, Michael, I'm sure you have your critics too. Oh, let me that say I this. Do. And Michael, let me say this. Don't just repeat what critics say. Do a little bit of homework. Tell me one thing that I've said, one statement that I've said that is erroneous. None of those people who are my so-called critics can show me one statement that I have made that's erroneous. Well, you know, do a little homework. Instead of just doing what your enemies have done to you, trying to do the same thing to me by just passing on these kind of vague allegations that I did something that said- Well, to, to the contrary, Robert, I'm not- but Robert, Show me Robert, some the misinformation that I repeated. Right, but to the contrary, I'm not attacking you in the way even remotely close to the way I was attacked by my critics. I'm only stating as a, uh, as a radio show podcaster, that and and again, you had to listen to the very. What's your response to critics? I'm giving you the opportunity to have a platform to my 1.5 plus million, you know, listeners. I'm asking you your response to critics. I'm not criticizing you. Uh, okay, and, well, and, my response is show me something that I said that was actually incorrect. You won't find it. Okay, and th there's there's the answer. And, and but by the way, that doesn't mean that. At some point, you know, I've just written a 500-page book. There'll be something in that book that is incorrect, not deliberately, but just because that's the nature when you, you know, when you're reciting tens of thousands of facts, you're bound to get one that's wrong. But if somebody shows me a fact that I said that was wrong, what's my response going to be? My response can be apologize and take it down and say I made a mistake. You know, I'm not going to... I'm not going to put something, listen, on my board, my advisory board, I have Luke Montagnier, the Nobel Prize winner, who won the Nobel Prize for developing the for discovering the HIV virus. I have the former head of the National Toxicity Program. I have 312 PhD scientists and doctors, high-level people. If I was passing misinformation, those people would be running away from me. The reason they come to Children's Health Defense is because we have the most rigorous fact-checking team in the publishing industry today. We are the only people who are doing rigorous fact-checking. Well, then do, let me ask see, you this. Sure, but let me ask you this. Does it concern you then that your book and its views are being given the most prominent airtime from people like Tucker Carlson, who believes that the January 6th insurrection was an inside job created to crack down on the far right? Well, I don't, you know, I don't make it. Listen, I'll talk to anybody. I'll talk to the biggest idiot in the world. And I'll talk to criminals. If I'm, if they're the only way that I can get my message out, you know, Anderson Cooper is not going to put me on CNN because CNN is run by pharmaceutical companies. That gives, you know, 70% of the revenues the evening news are coming from, from the NPR is, you know, Bill Gates giving $319 million 
to the public television and and to the to the so-called independent news. So there's anybody who wants to criticize pharmaceutical products or government or question government policies cannot do that on normal network TV or the social media. They're thrown off. If you're a person who has suffered a vaccine injury and you talk about that on Facebook, you will be ev evicted. You're not, you will never get on a TV program to talk about that. When Ron Johnson, Senator from Wisconsin, had a group of people of physicians and people who've been injured, clearly injured by vaccines, including people who are part of Pfizer's clinical trial, and did a public hearing in front of the United States Senate committee last week and recorded their sworn testimony. And all of that was removed from YouTube because you're, you're a not, you are no longer allowed to criticize government policies. So yeah, I will go to places that, you know, with people, who, but I've always done that, Michael. I've always been willing to talk to people who don't agree with me on, on virtually anything. In fact, you know, I've been on Hannity probably a dozen times. Hannity and I agree on literally zero. I don't, I think democracy is about building bridges to people with whom you don't agree, with creating, you know, finding where there is common ground with other human beings. The biggest thing, the big, the most important productive strategy or the big tuck around the oligarchs and the intelligence agencies and the pharmaceutical companies who are trying to impoverish us and, you know, and, and dramatically uh, um, and, and obliterate democracy. Their strategy is to create fear and division. So orchestrated fear and then divide Republicans from Democrats and, you know, blacks from whites and get a lot of infighting so nobody notices that they are making themselves billions and billions and while they impoverish the rest of us and 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 execute the controlled demolition of American constitutional democracy. And we need to talk to, I probably agree with you on almost nothing. I came on here because I'm willing to talk to anybody who's willing to listen about this. Uh, you know, I think we need to start talking to each other, even about with people whom we don't agree. My father told me that partisanship is poison, that it's dishonest, it's intellectually dishonest, it's tribalism, it's bad for democracy. And that we need to start talking to people as human beings and not as Republicans and Democrats. Now, I don't have to agree with Tucker Carlson on, on anything. If he invites me on his show, I'm going to go on it because he has a big audience. And I, I don't have to agree with you, Michael. I appreciate you letting me talk to your audience. But I'm going to do that. I, I do not endorse your It doesn't mean I'm endorsing your views. Well, I totally agree and vice versa. But it's funny, I was listening to you talking about the destruction of democracy and um, and how uh, the tribalism, you know, is a big part of it. It sounded so much to me like Donald J. Trump in terms of the whole Trump administration. I couldn't help but thinking that this goes way farther than just merely uh, vaccinations, anti-vax concepts and so on. But I do want to ask you, Robert, based on your findings Michael, I am not anti-vaccine. I'm just against untested and bad vaccines. I have nothing against vaccines. 
if a vaccine is properly tested and if there is a test that shows uh, people who take that vaccine four or five years later are healthier than those who did. And I would absolutely endorse that vaccine. Show me one of the vaccines where that test has been done. What I've said for years is vaccines are exempt from safety testing. It's the only medical product that is exempt from safety testing. And none of the 72 vaccines currently mandated for our children have ever been safety tested in preclinical trials against a placebo. So nobody knows their risk profile. Nobody can say that they're causing more, that they're averting more harm than they're causing. What about what about and the vaccination of polio? And I mean, we basically eradicated you know, polio. I've said this for years. So I met with Tony Fauci in 2016 because Trump made a meet with me. And I said, and I said to Tony Fauci, you know, I've said for years, none of these vaccines are tested. And you've said, I'm not telling the truth. So now here we are together. Show me one study that's ever been done. And he said, I don't have them on me. I'll get back to you. He never got back to me. So I sued him and sued HHS and said, show me one study, one preclinical study on vaccine safety that has ever been done, a placebo-based study. And after a year and a half of litigation, they came back and said, you're right, we don't have any. And you can go look at their concession on CHD's website today. Well, let me ask you this then. Based on your findings, do you believe that Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates should be investigated for criminal wrongdoing? Yes. Plain and simple. Of course. I mean, I think Fauci's policies, 80% of the people who died from COVID should not have died. We should have been doing early treatment like the Chinese did. The Chinese put early treatment protocols with chloroquine, which is the cousin of hydroxychloroquine. By April, they had protocols with all the drugs we know are effective. Um, antibiotics, anticoagulants, anti-inflammatories, steroids, hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine, and then, you know, vitamins, vitamin D and kerosidin and, and um, you know, and they had dozens and dozens of Chinese herbs on their protocol that they published. And guess what? They obliterated the pandemic after a month and a half using early treatment. The Chinese had three deaths per million population. You know what Tony Fauci had? 2,200 Americans. We have the biggest body count in the world because of his policies. We have we have 4.2% of the global population. We had 14.5% of the casualty, COVID casualties. Why is that a success story? Of course, he should be criminally prosecuted because what he did was clearly, clearly, demonstrably purposeful, and I can prove that in front of a jury. We know that, and if you read, if you read my book, if you read my book, just the first chapter, you will see that indictment laid out clear as day. He deliberately sabotaged by, by using fraudulent methodologies, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and promoted a drug that he knew was deadly, remdesivir. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I think you would acknowledge that the Chinese do not reveal or release any information. In all fairness, if you ask Russia how many people died as a result of the coronavirus, they'll tell you none. Because that's what Vladimir Putin is telling them to say. And you're never going to get the true numbers because it's communist. 
Whether, whether Putin wants to turn around and say that they're a democracy or not, they're not giving you the real numbers. And, don't okay, you, I mean, I'm, and I'm, we, we in the United I'm, States, I'm, we're well, so transparent. All, you know, listen, first of all, we aren't transparent. We're the opposite of transparent. In fact, yesterday, the FDA asked a federal court to allow it to not release its data in the Pfizer study for 55 years. That's not transparency. That's concealment. Virtually all of the policies, you know, on how deaths were calculated, how infection fatality rates were calculated, using the PCR test at 45 amplifications when they knew it would create 90% false positives, all of the manipulating the death certificates, all of the things that they did from the outset were designed to lie, to conceal from the public the, you know, what uh, the, the efficacy of drugs, the deadliness of COVID. CDC has admitted that 96% of the cases that of the deaths that it attributed to COVID could have been something else, that they had an average of 3.8 potentially deadly comorbidities. They have no idea how many people died from COVID. But it's not just China. There are all of the African countries many, many other countries in the world that use different protocols and have tiny, tiny fractions of the death rates that we had. We had among the worst death rates in the world and by far the biggest body count on earth. So it's not just the Chinese are hiding things. Of course, that's a potential, but we were hiding things systematically in this country. Except somewhere along the line, all those other countries are asking us now for the ability to produce it. But I want to ask you a personal question here. To produce, um, to produce the coronavirus vaccination uh, well, in their, me, in their me, own country. I, but I, I, I want to actually, actually no, no, I want to ask you something, ask you a personal this, question. You, you just made a statement that I think is uh, deceptive. Here's what Pfizer's own study shows. Pfizer's own study, which it cut off, it was supposed to do a three-year study, and it cut it off in six months. It unblinded the study, and it gave the vaccine to the whole placebo group. So it didn't want anybody to be able to tell what's going to happen over three years. It's ended that study. Then it gave it documents to the FDA to get a to get a um, license. And here's what their documents show. Here's what the records of their their own records show. And, and you can look this up in the first pages of my book, or you can go on F, FDA's website and see this. It's graph S4, table S4. They show that over the six-month period, there's 22,000 people in the placebo group, 22,000 in the vaccine group. In the vaccine group, one person died from COVID over six months of the 22,000. In the placebo group, two people died from COVID. That's their study. What they, they, they I'm sorry, and, and I'm so sorry. And whose study, whose study is that? Is this who Pfizer put out this study? study, which they submitted to FDA? And I'm telling you the table number that you should go look at as for is their study. What they show is what they were able to claim is that the vaccine is 100% effective because two is 100% of one. And most Americans, when they hear that it's 100% effective against death, they're thinking that means if I the vaccine, I have 100% chance of not dying, but that's not what it means. What it means is you have to give 22,000 vaccines to prevent one COVID death. And here's the bad news, Michael. In the vaccine group, 
over at the six month period, 22,000 people that were 20 deaths of all cause mortality. In the placebo group, there's only 14. Get that vaccine, according to Pfizer's own data, you're 48% more likely to die over the next six months. How are they dying? In the vaccine group, there were five deaths from heart attacks. In the placebo group, one death from a heart attack. That means you're 500% more likely to die of a heart attack if you take that vaccine over the next six months than if you do not. It also means that people, for every life they save from COVID, they are killing four people from heart attacks. Okay, That's I, I, Robert, I do, I do have to ask you, I got to ask you this personal question here, because uh, I need to back up for a moment, and I'm trying to understand something. Really, how, and it's personal, how you became a part of all of this, right? Because um, obviously you are. And over the years, I've actually known about you, but mainly really from your work with the River Keepers and the movement to clean up the Hudson River. I'm very curious, what was the impetus that drove you from your environmental work into the world of anti-vaccination? I'm not, you know what? I'd appreciate it if you'd stop calling me anti-vax. That's like me calling you a convicted criminal every time I talk to you. It's a way of marginalizing you. Fair enough. Fair enough. What what would you like me? What what term should I use? I'm not anti-vax. Give me the decency of not saying. No. What what would you like me? What would you like me to say? Yeah, just into the world. I'm a I'm a a public health advocate. Public health advocate. Okay, into the world of public health advocacy. Yeah. Oh. You asked me how I got into this. I got yes. into it like all kicking and screaming. I was suing. We have, you know, I, I ran the biggest water protection group in the world, the Waterkeeper Alliance. We have 350 waterkeepers, each one with a patrol boat. They patrol local waterways in 46 countries, and we sue polluters. And I had litigation against about 40 coal-burning power plants and cement kilns in North America, the province of Canada, and the United States around 2005. And there was a 2003 study by FDA that showed that every freshwater fish in America had dangerous levels of mercury in its flesh, every fish. We started suing the major sources of that mercury, which is coal-burning power plants and cement kilns. I was going, traveling around North America, going, doing litigation and giving speeches about it. And women started coming up to me, these mothers, they were almost always well-dressed. They'd sit in the front row of my speeches, they'd come early, and then afterwards they'd ask to talk to me. And they were all, as it turns out, the mothers of intellectually da- uh, damaged children, uh, disabled children. And most of them were diagnosed with autism. And they said to me that they believed that mercury and vaccines had disabled their children and had caused the injuries. And, uh, you know, I had been involved with intellectual disabilities my whole life. It's part of my family DNA. My aunt Eunice, who is my godmother, Eunice Shriver, founded. Uh, Special Olympics. I worked in Special Olympics as a hugger and a coach when I was eight years old. I spent 200 hours in Los Angeles home for the retarded when I was in high school. And I've done that all my life, but it's not what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to protect rivers and work on energy policy. And then one of these women came to my home, a psychologist from Minnesota named Sarah Bridges, 
came to my home in the summer of 2005, found my home in, in Massachusetts and put a, put a huge pile, 18 inches thick of scientific studies on my front porch. And she said, I'm not leaving here till you read them. Her son, Porter, had been a, you know, a, a healthy, healthy child, exceeded all milestones for language, social reactions, et cetera. He had gotten the vaccines when he was 18 months old, and he had become profoundly um, intellectually disabled. He had severe autism today. I think he's 22 years old. He's non-toilet trained, nonverbal. She won $20 million in the vaccine court. She didn't want it to happen to other kids. And I started reading the science. And she, I sat there and read the abstracts of these studies. I read science for a living. It's how I litigate all the lit my litigation, virtually all of it includes scientific controversies. And I have to know how to read science critically. So I began reading it. And before I was four inches in to that pile, I realized there was a huge delta between what the public health agencies and the pharmaceutical companies were telling us about vaccine safety and what the actual peer-reviewed published science was saying. And that began me down this trip down the, you know, down the wormhole that has incidentally at a huge cause. It was not a good career mode for me. It's had it's had very, very big cause. I could I could see I could see that. But I I, I first of all, let, let me say I have I have friends. Yeah, I have friends also who have children who have autism. And I remember when Donald made the same claim about how um, vaccinations uh, cause autism. It's obviously completely contrary to all the information that exists out there that I'm aware of from Autism Speaks and so on. And I'm just saying that simply because I yeah, know so many people and they were so they were so angry. Let me finish, Robert. They, they were so angry that Donald would just so callously come up and say, because that's not where the science lies. But I want to ask you, since we're talking uh, hey, wait about like, science, like, wait, like, let me just ask you, like, let me ask you, you this. Say that. You can't just throw those bombs and then walk away from them and go to the next subject. It is what the science says. It's not. It's what, not. It's not. Let's it's just not, say that we'll agree okay, to Michael, disagree. Let's, let's talk it's about the not science. true. Michael, let's talk about the science then, because I, I'll tell you this. What you're going to cite to me is what autism speak, which is run by the pharmaceutical industry and what what public health authorities say, but it's not what the science says. What I'm telling you is I read peer-reviewed science. And if you go to our website, you'll see 300 independent peer-reviewed publications from Harvard, from Stanford, from NIH, from CDC, all of them showing that autism is caused by vaccines. Oh, what you're hearing is from Tony Fauci and your buddies who are working for the pharma. It is not oh, science. They're not working for the, the pharmacy. They're working to make sure that their children are taken care of. But since we're talking about science, well, I sure, want to ask you this. I want to ask you this, because you're also outspoken about the damage that 5G networks can do to human DNA. If you would, can you explain how this works, what you believe the larger goal of this technology to be? Well, okay, there's two issues. One is, you know, does 5G cause DNA damage and does it cause cellular damage? And again, the science is very clear and we just won that lawsuit against FCC. But there, And we submitted, I think, 10,000 pages of, of studies. And that was only a fraction of the studies that are out there that show that this, that Wi-Fi radiation causes horrendous damage to human beings at a cellular level, to every organ. 
you ask what the intention of 5G is, the, the intention of 5G, there's three intentions. First of all, you see the ads on TV that 5G has come to your neighborhood and you're thinking to yourself, wow, that looks really good. You know, that these ads are great and my life is going to be changed. And then you start thinking to yourself, what is it going to do for me? It's going to allow me to download a video game in six seconds rather than nine seconds. No, what? They're not putting 5G up there for you. 5G is for machine-to-machine communication. So what it's doing is it's, it does three things. One is it allows data harvesting. Data harvesting is the new, like, you know, is the oil fields of the 1920s, unregulated oil fields. Your data has value. For many years, they've been able to get your data. You, you have Siri sitting in your house, recording every time you cough, every time you sneeze, when you talk about a new mattress, new shoes, Siri is hearing you. Siri does not work for you. She works for Bill Gates and for Apple and for you know those guys. Gates is building a, a city in Arizona, 80,000 people. It's just a huge data center that is gonna allow him to take all that data at these spy devices, your garage door opener, you know, everything in your house, your microwave oven, your GPS, your Apple Watch are all recording your heartbeat, every aspect of your life. And they, to date, they, they've been able to get that data, but they can't transport it, they can't subject it to analytics, and they can't monetize it. And 5G is going to allow them to strip mine that data, bring it to analytics, um, centers like the one that Gates is building and monetize it and sell it back to industries, to retailers, et cetera, to whom it is very, very valuable. The second thing that 5G does is it's a, it's a methodology for, for political control and social controls. Bill Gates brags that his 60,000 satellites are going to be able to surveil every square inch of the planet Earth 24 hours a day. So they have facial recognition systems. They have all of these, you know, everybody's GPS data. And you look what China's doing with it. You know, China is already ahead of us on it. And what are they doing? Every time you go out of your house, there's facial recognition devices that are tracking and tracing everywhere you go. They now have a system where they can read guilt on your face. They have a computer software that allows them to look at guilt and it's pre-crime. Too bad that they didn't give that to the judge in my specific case because they realized that more than 90% of the bullshit that was said about me is absolutely a lie. But I want to ask you this question, if if I can, because um, you know, we're coming close towards the end of the hour. You know, I'm just a podcaster, and I know that you get a lot of slack from a lot of people based upon your views, and that's and probably in your opinion, that's fine. Very much like it was the same with me. Everyone's entitled to their opinion. But in 2019, Absolutely. right, I mean, it's that's our democracy. In 2019, your siblings, Kathleen Kennedy Townsend and um, Joseph P. Kennedy II, as well as your niece, penned an essay in Politico entitled, RFK Jr. is our brother and uncle. He's tragically wrong about vaccines. If I can ask you, what's your relationship like with the rest of your family as these issues around vaccination, and it's a hot topic, right, have become so contentious and polarizing? First of all, I would say this. I have studied vaccines 
I've written books on them. I've written hundreds and hundreds of articles on them. I've litigated on them. And so I have a better understanding of them than people in my family. Uh, there's a there's a logical fallacy, which means a an error, a logical error, that is famously called an appeal to authority. And it's what you just did when you were talking to me. You said vaccines are safe because Autism Speaks says they're safe, or Tony Fauci says they're safe, or Francis Collins, or CDC. Or the FDA, or the government. Right. And that is not science. Science is not what FDA says. These are captured agencies, and they're corrupt. Science is not what CDC says. Science is what you you find in the published peer-reviewed publications in PubMed, and even those you have to read critically. You cannot take them at face value. You have to separately investigate them and you have to use your brain. And nobody does that because they use that logical fallacy that is called appeals to authority. They believe what Tony Fauci says and says that's science, but that isn't science. He'd like you to believe that's science, but it isn't. So my family has a long, long entanglement with public health authorities. My there's members of my family that created these agencies that have funded them for years. My uncle Teddy was uh, a chair of the health committee in the United States Senate for 50 years. He wrote the budgets for Fauci, for uh, Collins, for all of these people. And my sister was lieutenant governor of Maryland, where NIH is, and she has deep, deep connections. And everybody in my family grew up believing that these were people who were heroes. And so naturally, they're horrified when I say, wait a minute, I'm actually reading the science. And what those guys are saying is a lie. They can't believe it. And, you know, so I don't listen. I was raised. I have 11 brothers and sisters in my family. And we were raised to argue with each other like you and I are doing right here without bitterness and to take different positions and you know and that is we were raised to do that and to walk away and love each other so it doesn't bother me i mean i would rather them not attack me obviously i'm not going to say that i like it <laughs> of course does it, does it destroy my relationship with them no i i go to the cape in the summers i spend weekends with them i'm about to go skiing with all of them over in you know colorado and, you know, I, so that's just the way it works. I'm not troubled by that. I, you know, what can I say? They don't know. They don't know what they're talking about. So, uh, so some of the things that some of the things, Robert, that you say uh, that, you know, there's a lot of corruption that's going on, whether it's the FDA, the NIH, whether it's CNN, MSNBC and so on and so forth. But on top of that, you also accused the New York Times of lying on numerous occasions, um, you know. And I think you lie. Like you, you are. You, you accuse. I'm going to talk about 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 the. I'm going to give you. Let me finish, yeah, and I'm going to tell you what it was. What it was yeah. that you accused them of about I'm lying about the victory. efficacy. Well, well, you did. What, you accused them they, of lying about. You you accuse them of lying about the efficacy of vaccinations. Uh, I'm just curious. On like, what? Wait a minute. Show me the quote. Well, I don't have the quote in front of me. We're on. We're 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 on a podcast. Uh, but, yeah, but I will say I, I will send it to you. I, I don't. I'll tell you I what. If you tell context. me that you didn't, Robert, if you tell me that you didn't, I believe you. I was just. I'm asking. not going to tell you that I didn't because I don't know what the context was. If it was a specific statement that I was objecting to, I don't remember what it was. Fair enough. 
Let me let me then just ask you. I have two more questions for you, and um, <laughs> then and we. And by can... the way, you know, does the New York Times lie about stuff all the time? Yes, they do. I'm not. But so I then, just... let me ask you the question that I was hoping to ask without turning on and saying that you accused anybody, since you believe the New York Times lied about the efficacy of vaccinations or or other information. Yes. Are I they do. part? Or do you think that they're part of a larger conspiracy to silence um, your movement for public health advocacy? Well, I, I that that's kind of a loaded question. Do I think that? Here's what I would say, because I'm I'm pretty close to saying yes to that question. I would say all of these groups are censoring people. So the CDC is censoring. The social media companies are censoring. Um, the New York Times is clearly censoring. They have not, you know, New York Times used to print my editorials every six months until I got on vaccines and now they won't have anything to do with me. And they will not let me write a letter to the editor when they put something erroneous in their paper, direct attacks on me, they will not give me the traditional right to reply that for a hundred years, the Times has given to everybody famous who they slander, who they criticize. There's always a right to reply, except for one person, and that's me. Well, let me let me join you. Well, let me join you, Robert, as the second person, because uh, there are many articles in the New York Times, one specific with Megan Tuohy, where she accused me of telling her that I had gone to Prague. I have never been to the Czech Republic. I've never even been close to the Czech Republic. And, and, my, and, and, they would, and I did. I called the editor-in-chief, and he said that she said that you told her that, so we're sticking with it. But, you know, as we end the, the episode, Episode. I want to switch gears, really switch gears. And this is just something, um, you know, a historical type of question. Um, I want to talk to you about Sirhan Sirhan's parole, because I understand that you actually support um, his parole. What's behind your desire to see your father's assassin uh, freed? I'm, I'm just curious from a, from a personal perspective. Well, there's two answers. One is, that first of all, I believe that he's entitled to parole, even if he did kill my father. After 50 years in jail, I don't think my father would want him to. He's not a threat to anybody. And he's clearly very remorseful about his role in my father's assassination. Did, did he shoot my father? No, absolutely not. Anybody who looks at the facts or reads Thomas Noguchi's autopsy report will come to the same conclusion that Noguchi did, which my thought, which was, and I'll tell you briefly, Sirhan Sirhan was waiting for my father in the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel. He fired two shots directly toward my father from about six feet. One of those shots struck Paul Schrade, who was one of my father's best friends. He was the second in command of the UAW, and he's the guy who introduced my dad to Cesar Chavez. The other shot went past my father and he hit the door jam directly behind his head, and it was later removed from police. After the second shot, Sirhan's hand was grabbed. He was thrown onto the steam table by Rosie Greer, Rayford Johnson, and four other people, and they made a dog pile on top of him. They put his gun facing away from my father, and but they could not get it away from him. And he fired six more shots and emptied the chamber. All of those shots hit people. Five people were hit, one of them twice. 
we know what happened to every bullet in his gun. Not one of them hit my father. My father was killed by four shots, according to the autopsy, fired all of them from behind, and all of them were contact shots. That means the barrel of the gun Noguchi found, and his autopsy is called the perfect autopsy in the medical literature. He literally flew in the best corners because he didn't want to happen what happened in Dallas. He flew in the best corners, including all the corners from all the armed services, the top corner, to observe him in the theater and watch everything what he did. And what he found was the fourth shots that killed my father were all contact shots, meaning the barrel of the gun was touching his skin, in the case of the one that hit him behind the ear, or his jacket. In the case of the three, one was fired into his neck and one into his back. One passed harmlessly through his shoulder pad. The one that lodged in his brain was the only one they got out that recovered in good enough shape to, to check it against Sirhan's gun, and it did not come from Sirhan's gun. The other three, the projectiles went into the went on an upward trajectory through my father's body into the ceiling. The guy who fired those shots was Eugene Thane's taser, who is was a a security guard who led my father towards Sirhan. And then while Sirhan was firing, Cesar drew his gun and fired from behind. My father fell back on Cesar, but he must have known that Cesar was shooting him because he turned and pulled off Cesar's clip-on tie. And if you see pictures of my father lying on the floor of the Ambassador Hotel, he's holding that tie in his hand. And there's pictures of Cesar not wearing his tie. Why do you think that? And why do you think that this man killed your father? Do you have any idea what? Why do you think this man killed your father? Well, he had a hatred of the Kennedys. He also, by the way, there was there was a dozen eyewitnesses that saw him. He, my father fell on him, and when he got up, he had his gun drawn, which he didn't deny. He said, "Oh, I was shooting it at Sirhan." Clearly, he was not. And then he got rid of the gun and he lied about when he got rid of it, but it has since been located. He, um, Cesar was, hated my father because he was extreme racist and he thought my father was turning the country over to blacks. He was, um, he was an employee. He had only had that job as a security guard at a security for three days. So he got the job when he knew my father was going to be there. He then, um, he worked, his full-time job was at the Lockheed plant, which is a defense plant. And he, Lisa Pease, who, who did publish her book on my father's death, which is a very good book, although it makes some controversial charges that I'm not sure of. Um, but she found out this year that, um, say it for the first time, because long suspected that he was a CIA agent because most of the people or many of the people who worked, who had top security clearance at that plant, which he did, were also CIA assets. She found employment papers by Cesar in which he identifies himself as a CIA agent. So, um, you know. But, but again, you know, my just uh, in, in finishing, um, so you do have a desire to see him free. You're a better man than, than I am. I couldn't be as forgiving. Um, I understand, you know, you have your theory on it. Obviously, many people have 
other theories on it. Robert, let me say thank you for joining me today. You're right. We don't agree on virtually, virtually anything as it relates, as it relates to, as it relates to this. But I certainly respect your opinion into it. You're entitled to your opinion as, as am I. Um, and you know what? We'll find out down the road one day, right? Who's right and who's wrong. But I do want to thank you for joining me, uh, today. And, um, I will never call you an anti-vax again. You are a public health advocate. Thank you. Be, Be well, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. You too. You were listening to my 2022 interview with Robert Kennedy Jr. And don't let this man be president and certainly don't let him spoil the chances of Joe Biden from defeating one of these MAGA lunatics. Unfortunately, like most narcissists I know, Kennedy is blithely unconcerned with the possibility that he could be the reason why Donald Trump or even, God forbid, Ron fucking DeSantis becomes president. In his mind, it's his destiny that he deserves it and he will restore the Kennedy name back to its original luster. But that's never going to happen. All he's doing is lighting a match in a room full of dynamite. And if something explodes, well, he'll just shrug his shoulders and fucking walk away. There's a reason New York Magazine called Kennedy a political arsonist. Let's deprive him of any remaining oxygen and stamp out the flames. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek, and our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.